Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. the afternoon show. How are you today? Bill Arnold with you. I hope we get to spend these next two hours together. I hope you can be with me uh, for the whole time. We're going to have a wonderful show. Guy Talk is going to happen. We're going to get that started in just a minute or two. And then in the second hour, uh, Rick Matson and Jana Fonts will be joining me. We're talking about evangelism during COVID. That's going to be a great topic as well. So that's what is on schedule for today. Of course, I'm interested and open to your questions for Guy Talk, you can send them on right now via text to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. I'd like to introduce the uh, panel today. We've got uh, Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, uh, Agent uh, 007 Justin Jepson, and um, Tiger McLuhan. That's uh, the panel today. Gentlemen, welcome. Good to be here, Bill. Hi, Bill. The weather outside is frightful. Yeah, and and Peter Peter Kapsner just uh, texted me an hour ago and said that he was not able to make it today. So um, that's his loss. That's his loss, which means more talk, more talk time for everybody. <laughs> so let me start with a question. Um, in First John one five thirteen, John says, "I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life." Most Christians that I know hope they gain eternal life, but few live with the certainty of knowing that they have eternal life. How can uh, pastors, teachers of the Word make this truth a priority so that Christians live in confidence? Pretty thoughtful Um, question uh, to get things started. All I can tell you is my own personal experience, and that was that I was raised in a good biblical church, and was I sure I was saved? I was not. And then I was leading a Bible study in college, and a college girl says, Tom, can I talk to you after the Bible study? And I said, yeah. Tom, are you sure you're saved? And I said, I think I'm saved. She said, no, are you sure? And I I said, yes. And she left, and I'm sitting there thinking, did I just lie? Because I, <laughs> I didn't know. But that verse changed my life. I write this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. It doesn't say hope maybe you'll get eternal life if you are good enough. We're saved by grace so we can know because of Christ's finished work we're saved. That changed my life, and Christianity went from being, well, kind of a drag to being the most wonderful thing in my life. Now, having said, I do know for sure I'm saved. Do I have doubts that I'm saved, that I have to fight? You bet I do, which is why, you know, we have Holy Communion to assure us. We have prayer. We got confession when you talk to a a brother about your sins. But so, yeah, there are days I I wonder, am I going to make it? But it's all done by Christ on the cross. So, yes, you can be sure if you believe in him that you're saved. Yeah. You know, the New Testament is the only religious book or books out there that give us this assurance. You look at any other religious belief out there, and people hope they get to heaven. They think they know the way to heaven. You know, they hope they're good enough. The Bible says you can know. And I know the Greek word for know is gnosko, and that means you know with a certainty. Mm-hmm. It's not just, I'm hoping it's out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. 
it's it's something you can really grab onto. And that's something I think as pastors and teachers of the word, maybe we don't put enough emphasis on that. Maybe we, we are always talking more kind of in the ethereal realm of, well, you got to follow the commandments, you got to mm-hmm. be a good person. And if you don't understand this, that because of Jesus and Jesus alone and shed blood, you have eternal life, then I don't have the motivation to forgive those who hurt me. I don't have the motivation to, to sacrifice for others yep. because it's my relationship with him and the knowledge that I will be with him forever. And, and it's not arrogant to no. say I know I'm saved because it doesn't depend on me. No. It depends on Christ. Totally. So I, I know I'm going to heaven not because I'm good enough because I'm not, but because of Christ and therefore it's humbling to know that I'm saved by grace alone. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's... Uh... Go ahead, Tiger. Well, I'm just was saying, I, I think the average study was done of teenagers who pick up their faith from their, their parents, that the average teenager believes that being Christian is being nice, that, that what our job here is just to be nice people, which is very different than standing on the promises that these guys have been talking about, this the assurance that we are that we have been uh, claimed and redeemed and forgiven and uh, have a place set for us, not by what we do, but by what God does. And that's, that's a completely different kind of story to live into than this idea of, you know, we're just supposed to be nice to people and be nicer than the, the people who don't believe in God. And uh, I think that's tripping us up a lot because niceness doesn't get us very far. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, and, and being nice, to Tiger's point, doesn't get someone crucified, right? So, I mean, Jesus wasn't nice. He was, he was, he was, kind, he was kind, right? Yeah. But I, I, I think alongside of that, I, you know, I think it's, it's actually assuring to me that there's a whole book of the Bible, First John, I would say, that's devoted to assuring the first Christians of their salvation. So we're not the first ones to doubt it, you know, and just that theme of you can have confidence in this, and this is how you, you know that you're in Him if you keep His commandments. You can have confidence. You can have confidence. And so I think for me, uh, yeah, to, to Tom's point too, do I have doubts? Uh, absolutely. But I find mm-hmm. the more and more that I'm, I'm in the Word, the more and more I'm in Christian community, um, the more and more I can live into, you know, what's that old hymn? I love it. Tom's going to start singing, I know. Blessed Uh-oh. assurance. Go, go right? ahead. Blessed assurance. Okay. <laughs> but, I, but I think the, the, the assurance, you know, again, it doesn't come from looking at myself, what I've done, what I haven't done. My assurance comes from, Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, mm-hmm. the, the author and the finisher of my faith, in Philippians mm-hmm. 1, 6, who began a good work in me, is faithful to see it through to completion. So I know I'm a mess most of the days, but at least I'm Jesus' mess, and he started with me, and thank goodness he's going to finish. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and a yeah. little bit of church history here. The entire Reformation started because about 1517, a Catholic monk by the name of Martin Luther desperately wanted to know that he was saved, and he knew he wasn't at the end of every day. He knew he had earned God's wrath until he reads the book of Romans, discovers grace, and he says, it was like I went through open doors into paradise. May I tell you a true story about my mother? She died two years ago. She was four months short of 100 years old. I remember your mom. She was Rosie the Riveter in World War II in Akron, Ohio, riveted the airplanes together. An amazing woman. She grew up uh, Lutheran, and she was the only girl in her catechism class, if you can imagine that. But on that Sunday where they had the three hours where they'd ask questions in front of the congregation, she was the only one that knew the answer. She had memorized the entire catechism. So after she had been living with us about five years, I was uh, doing some revisions in one of my book books, and I said to her, Mom, you know, do you know for sure that when you die, you're going to be with Jesus and live with him forever? 
long pause. She goes, well, I don't know if I've been good enough. Now, here she is. She's like 90 years old, mm. and she doesn't know. And and I just kind of scratched my head that day, and I said, Lord, what am I going to do? A couple months later, I'm working on a revision on some writing where I really talk about this first John. And I felt the Lord say to her, ask Mom to proofread it. So I started giving her my chapters and said, Mom, would you proofread this for me? After a couple of months of doing that, one day I said, by the way, Mom, if you were denied tonight, do you know that you'd go and be with Jesus? Mm-hmm. She'd give me this funny look. She goes, well, of course I would. I'm saved by his shed blood. There's nothing else but Jesus. And it was coming to Good. grips with this scripture passage yeah, that changed her entire life. And I think this is one that we should probably be hanging up in the middle of every church in the country so that when you walk in, you see up there, you can know for sure. There's no question about it. Yeah. Good. Well, can I ask a question, Bill? Is that all right? Who, who, who are you asking the question well, to? D- well, anybody. But <laughs> all right, go here, ahead. Here's, here's the, so I, <laughs> I, I come home from college, now clear that we're saved by grace alone and not good works. Okay. And I want my mom, who's Lutheran, goes to church every Sunday, I want to make sure she gets it. So I remember being in the den. I was about 20 years old. Well, Mom... If you died tonight, are you sure you go to heaven? And well, and mom, if you died and God said, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And she said, because I love God. Do you think that's the right answer? That's my question. Is that the right answer? No. Well, I, I, well, I, I guess it, I think you have to press into that because, yes. you know, first John, first John says in chapter two, this is how we know that we are in him, that if we keep his commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Um, and so I think you maybe need to press into what that means. That I, I, I still think oh. it's the wrong answer. But, but this is yeah. our fault. It is yeah. the fault of the clergy because we use God language all the time, just like every other religion. And yet what does the Bible say? You know, there is no other name but the name of Jesus under heaven by which we must be saved. Yeah. It doesn't say you're saved by believing in God, no. generically. It says Jesus. And we have not emphasized that enough. So I think the problem with us, I think you're... I think your mom was close, and but, she probably had a, a kind well, of a, but I don't think she was there. Well, and, you know, here I don't think she was. I think, she, gratefully, before she died, we had good deep talks, and good. she was there. But the reason I love God is not the way you get in heaven is because we don't love God. No. If we did, we'd be perfect. We wouldn't sin and thought we're indeed daily. I've earned hell by my sins. And so I, the perfect answer is, why should I get to heaven? Jesus died on the cross, period. Yes. You know. It's, it's what he did, not what I do. I mean, you do love God to a degree, but not... not well, in the here's, gr- here's the problem. Yeah. How, have you met God the Father? I mean, have you met God the Father face-to-face? No, I have no. not. No. Have you met the Holy Spirit face-to-face? No. Most of us have it in that sense. But in the Scriptures, we meet Jesus face-to-face in the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the writing of the Apostles. And so in Jesus, we have the abatiment of who God is, because he's God the Son. And when you know Jesus, he says, Philip, when you know me, you know the Father. Mm-hmm. And so I think that we need to put the emphasis on Jesus. And all my interns uh, that I had in, uh, that came and worked at my churches and that, uh, when they preached... If I didn't hear them talking about Jesus, but only generically about God, mm-hmm. I would tell them, I'm not going to let you preach yeah. until you can change that. Yeah. And I was taught by my s- supervisor when I was a, a preacher, he, he would say, could that sermon have been preached had Jesus not died on the cross? Yes. And if it could be, you didn't preach yes. the gospel. Exactly. All right. There's an awkward pause, so I think I'll take a break. You're listening to Guy Talk. Plenty of time for your questions. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-93-FAITH. Be right back. Help. 
You gotta have something. All right, that is the theme song for Guy Talk. And we've got a assembled an amazing uh, panel once again. Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, Agent 007 Justin Jepson, Tiger McLuhan, and also added to the mix today, the producer of the show, Ben Holson. Ben, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, gentlemen. So nice to have you here. Listen to that professional radio voice. Whoa. I'm sitting here. You sound like a radio guy. Yeah, Yeah, I like it. Did I sound like this in the waiting room? That's what I want. You did sound like that in the waiting room. I'm not putting anything on. Listen to those pipes, though, you know? Don't tell me I don't feel threatened. <laughs> yeah, you're, how's your job, Bill? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I was newly married, and I was working for the university radio station doing a rock show, right? And so it was kind of like this, and let's do the big rock. And while I woke up, when my wife woke up shortly after marriage, she said, Hi, honey, how you doing? And she slugged me, and she said, Don't you ever talk to me that way again. And that voice is gone. Uh-huh. Nice, nice. All right, a friend sent me this line today. This is a, a line from a singer-songwriter, Rich Mullins. He said, uh, the hardest thing about being a Christian is that it's every day. And my reply was, the hardest day would for me would be any 24 hours in a row where I wasn't a Christian. Mm-hmm. I could be uh, voted world's, nice, world's best person, win the lottery, and would face my biggest horror if that was my day of death. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Mm. All right, let's go. Let's jump to the uh, tiger. Were you going to say something? No, of course not. Okay, good. <laughs> you know your place, don't you? <laughs> Man of many words. Yes, I love it. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yes. All right. In the book of Daniel, we love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and and Abednego, and we know the story where they're told by King Nebuchadnezzar to bow down and worship, and they go, Ah, nah, we're not doing that. Uh, so you know. We're not going to do this, and if you throw us into the fire furnace, God will deliver us. But if He doesn't, you know, I'm not going to. We're not going to worship your your image, right? So, I love that. question is: Are we training up young Christian men and women to have faith in the courage that these three had? Mm-hmm. I think I might start with you, Tiger. You know, I'm thinking no. I, again, I think the. <laughs> And it's partly just because America spends all of our time moving away from discomfort or anything that creates, you know, unless we're into politics. I mean, we, we wanted to be comfortable. And um, and so I think we're raising up a generation that really wants our faith to be nothing more than being nice people and doesn't really cost me much. And, um, and, and if. I mean, the, the, what they said is critically important, which is, I believe that God can save us from the fire, but even if he doesn't, I'm okay. Yep. Yeah. And, and that in itself is a unique faith perspective, because yeah. it doesn't demand that God fulfill my desires, my wants, my, my, my wishes, but yeah. that I will trust God in in whatever is coming my way. And I think that's not... Um, I don't think we're producing much of that right now in the American church. Yeah, I I agree with Tiger in that. And I, I this kind of alludes back to what we were talking about before um, and just our assurance of salvation. I, I think sometimes we uh, truncate the gospel into thinking that the gospel is the way that you get into heaven when the gospel is what gets you to God. Um, and what I mean by that, when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me, I think if we are sharing a gospel with those that just says, hey, when you go to heaven, you can go to heaven when you die, kind of get out of hell free card, so to speak, 
but this doesn't actually change the way that you're living here and now. Um, I think our perception of heaven, you know, I think often apart from Scripture, we, we kind of conceive it to be the, the absence of the things that we like least on the earth and the presence of the things that we like most on the earth, <laughs> rather than um, it's where Jesus has gone away to prepare a place for us to be with him. But that reality of eternal life is true in the here and now, that the gospel gets us to, G- the, the gospel gets us to God and gets us in, in union with, with Christ, recognizing that we are called, like him, to pick up a cross, deny ourselves, to follow him. Um, it's an exchange, it's an exchange of our life for his life. And the beauty of it is that eternal life is experienced now, and that it also it lasts forever beyond this life. And so I think if we don't have, I think, that vivid, robust picture of the true, how the gospel actually unites us with Christ, that gives us that assurance that no matter what happens, the worst that someone can do to me on this earth is kill me, and that merely just gives me a divine upgrade to the life afterwards, um, I think, I think we're, we're not going to have that type of faith and that type of audacious faith that we see in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that says, I will, I will love, love the Lord and be obedient to him, even unto the point of death. You go back to the turn of the 20th century. Your German theologians, uh, Boltman, Tillich, and others, were very emphasized very strongly that we've got to think less about heaven. Heaven's not the big deal. What the big deal is is how we treat each other right here, the justice we seek and the peace we seek. Now, look what the church has done. The church has brought into that theology much more than it has a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego philosophy. Now, that's not saying we're not interested in peace and justice and all the stuff that goes with that. However, this is temporary. Eternity is a long time. Mm -hmm. And they were saying that matters more than anything else. If we're going to train up our young men and women to do this, we have to not only take them to these passages, but I think we've got to keep bringing in living examples of Christians through time Mm -hmm. who have really stood up even when they were 18, 19, 20 years old and died for their faith because standing up for Jesus was more important than getting along with the culture. And does anybody know, uh, once a year, there's Persecuted Church Sunday? Yes. Is that this month? It was last uh, week. It was. Last, last week, yeah. It was, okay. And it's just really good to send a little email to your pastor saying, Pastor, could we pray for the persecuted this Sunday? And to keep those people in our prayers regularly. Because what I think of your question about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we need to preach regularly on the persecuted church and are you willing to be persecuted? Because if the government in America does start going after the little sisters of the poor again or people that are pro-life or anti-gay uh, marriage, you know, Christians could start suffering again. And and we need to tell people, are you willing to go to jail if you have to? If I, if I, I'm sorry, go ahead, Tiger. No, no I'm or just agreeing, man. Mm-hmm. If I was Satan and I wanted to destroy the church in America, I would have begun about 100 years ago, and I would begin to drain the church of eternal hope. The church doesn't really need to be concerned about eternity. We need to be concerned about is living good lives now. Mm-hmm. And I would work that. Now, now we're at a point where that's the main emphasis of churches, and it isn't eternal life any longer. And then when you talk about eternal life, people want to tell you you're no earthly good because you're so heavenly minded. The reality is you drain that hope out of people. What are you going to risk? What are you really going to risk? If it isn't going to work for me and justice and peace for me, why am I going to risk for Bill or for Tom or for anybody else? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to risk anything, especially dying. 
because after all, it's all about me and yeah. what I get here and now. And so I think Satan has done a very good job at that. And we have to reverse that and start emphasizing you aren't really living in this world for peace and justice until you've got the next world settled and you know who the Savior is. Yeah. yeah. You know, I also think that alongside of this, too, um, you know, if you think about what Jesus did with with his 12 disciples and, you know, got them to the place where they were willing and all of them mostly, you know, except for maybe John, who knows what, you know, the debatable church history all died. They were martyred for their faith. Oh, yeah. But what's so what's so amazing to me um, is that at the, at the kind of Luke's version of the Great Commission, so to speak, in Luke 24, uh, when you think about it, they had they had they had witnessed the, the death. Uh, the, re- uh, the death and the resurrection of Christ, they, 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 those resurrection visions, and they had been given the commission. They knew Jesus. They had the right words to say. They knew what to do. They were given the commission of where to go. But he said to them, but wait in the city until you're clothed with power from mm-hmm. on high. And I think, I think sometimes for me, I grew up in a, in a tradition where the Trinity was the Father, Son, and the Holy Bible. <laughs> we can, you know, uh, we can know Scripture back and back through and through, but if we're not walking in the Holy Spirit and walking, being continually filled with the Holy Spirit, um, you know, it, uh, we're not going to be able to have the faith to be able to withstand the potential persecution that may come for many of us in our, in our lifetime, and much less have the type of bold faith and, and confidence that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had, but yet we can have an even a greater assurance in that because we're living under the new covenant, yeah. and we have we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. So I think we need there needs to be a um, you know a reemphasis. Well, we have <laughs> the emphasis in American Christianity is prosperity gospel. God, you come to Christ, He's going to prosper. You're going to prosper financially, spiritually, physically. And I thought it was kind of funny, uh, Pastor John MacArthur, who preaches. Um, is not a real fan of Joel Osteen, who's very much into the prosperity stuff. And Joel Osteen wrote a book called Your Best Life Now. And John MacArthur responded, if this is your best life now, we're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and and his point was, you know, Christians are suffering and dying for Christ. This is our best life now? No, it isn't. Our best life is to come. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, I'm going to take a little break. Lots more guy talk coming up. Let me know if you have a question, 877-933-2484. A listener uh, relative to what we were talking about, eternal security, gave me John 17.3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Great verse. Thanks for that uh, message and that verse. Love it. Again, 877-93-FAITH. We'll be right back. Show with Bill. 
Welcome back to the show. Uh, so glad to have uh, Guy Talk happening. The power panel, uh, pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, Agent 007, Justin Jepson, and Tiger McClune. Uh, Peter Capture canceled on me late in the day, so shame on him. But he'll be back next week, uh, time permitting. And uh, some great questions have come in. And this is what I would call um, an evangelistic opportunity, gentlemen. This question is, is there an actual point when you believe or get saved? Or does it just happen over the years of going to church and hearing that Jesus died on the cross? I have an answer to that. I just preached it. I just preached it. And I, I used to be on the radio, Bill. So for 10 years, well, I was on, on the, the radio right now. Well, Tom. I used to be have my own show, which we had to pay a lot of money for. And there was a guy, if I may say, an obnoxious viewer. Be, be who, kind. Well, remember, I'm, remember. Okay, we're excuse me. Just be there was a wonderful man. There you go. Who, and he used to send me these emails, well, Pastor Brock, you're not saved. Because you said once on the radio that you're not sure of the day you were saved. You have to know the day you were saved or you're not saved. And finally, I wrote him back. I said, show me one verse in the Bible where it says you have to know the day to be saved. And I, you know, I think probably a lot of our listeners know the day. I mean, the Apostle Paul probably would say, yeah, I know the day on the road to Damascus. I got knocked down. Yeah. But Timothy, who was raised in the faith, I don't know, but I I think if if you ask him, Timothy, what day did you, he might say, well, I don't know when. I just got raised in this. I believed in as long as I... Both are fine, mm-hmm. um, but n- there's never a verse that says you have to know the date. Okay. Anyone else? Tiger. Well, I think I think even if it's a process, um, there, are, there are what I call sacred memories. Mm-hmm. And the sacred memory is... When God breaks through into our consciousness and we are just aware of his presence in our life, and it doesn't mean that it's it's one marker. I think we should have sacred memories along the whole journey of faith, but... But people, as they tell their story, um, even if even if they grew up in the church and they were raised by uh, families, there are moments where it either became more personal to them, mm-hmm. uh, it became uh, more important, or a truth that they heard they've heard before now spoke louder than ever before, and mm-hmm. those become the, the the sacred memories in our in our story of faith that that people need to identify with and claim those and trust those because those will help us when we're struggling with our doubts or our own failures. Those sacred memories become for many of us, for me, anchor points of going, oh, yes. Yeah, that's why I think the Bible says often, remember, the word is repeated over, remember what God has done, remember that how God has shown up in the past, because in the present, I get distracted and I get uh, discouraged, and I and I run into doubts, and so these these sacred memories can be places. So I, I always encourage you to look for what those sacred memories are in the past, and also to be uh, sensitive to them today. What is God saying to you today to get you off of your your complacency or your apathy or your religiosity, whatever it is that we're stuck on, and move into really leaning into just believe in, just trust in today. At yeah. some point, it's got to become personal. Yeah, At some right. moment, we move away from it being mom and dad's faith alone, or the church I grew up in, or because I heard this in Sunday school, to finally saying, this is for me. Mm-hmm. This is true. And Jesus, I am committed to you, and I will live for you, and I will die for you. Now, the process, and I think, Tiger, you're saying it very well, the process uh, is hard to understand. Because spiritual awakening is not something I can produce. 
That's what the Bible says. It's something that happens to me. But when it happens to me, what do I do with it? In that spiritual waking, do I then start to respond? And I think for some people I've seen, uh, I've watched people come forward at, at altar calls numerous times over and over and over, and they never quite got it. And then somewhere along the way, whether it was when they went to the doctor or they had an accident or whatever, you know, and I would pray with them or somebody else, something clicked and it made a difference. And to the point where even I'd have kids come up to me. I had one kid come up to me and say, what did you do to my dad when he was in the hospital? I said, what do you mean what did I do to him? He's a nice guy now. (laughs) So there's power there, but it's a process. Uh, But if you've got a day and time, you can say it. Praise God. The issue is not the day and the time or the process. It is, do you know Jesus? Mm-hmm. Is yeah. he the one you're willing to live for? Yeah, I think the key yeah. word in that is the word respond. Yeah. When we when when we have those moments, we, we do need to respond. Uh, you know, eternalize it, step out on it, li- live into it, whatever it is. But faith without a lack, with a lack of response is uh, fairly useless both to the believer and to people around them because it doesn't do anything and it, it's when we step out and respond to what God is saying what God is doing what God is convicting us of that's when life begins to change well the devil believes yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just doesn't yeah. respond yeah 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 I, I resonate with uh that that sacred memories um just that that concept because for me I, I don't remember the exact day but i could i know the moment when there was a turning in my spirit and that was the start of a process for me um and uh i, I didn't have the the language of repent and believe i didn't have four spiritual laws i i knew so little i knew so little but all what i did know was that i did not know jesus and i wanted to know him and so i I've shared it once before as a 12-year-old. I said a six. I said sitting on the edge of my bed. I said a six-word prayer, and that was a turning. I simply just said, "Jesus, I want to know you." Praise God. And uh, something something shifted in that moment. So there was definitely a turning. There was definitely a believing, and it was just a small, small, small little mustard seed. But thank goodness that <laughs> that God is that good that He takes He meets us where we're at, but He loves us enough not to leave us where we're at. And so at that point, that faith ought to continue to grow and to mature. And absolutely, have setbacks, and we're prone to wander, absolutely. Um, but I think uh, our confidence isn't remembering the exact date and time. Our confidence is in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good word. All right, uh, Pastor Tom Parrish, uh, who is a regular, of course, on the show, has written a number of books. One uh, book he wrote is called Stepping into Eternity, Encountering Jesus at the Moment of Death, and that was a a book that he uh, brought five copies in uh, today for me to give away to listeners. So if you want to get in on the drawing, just text the word book to 877-933-2484, 877-933-2484. And if you're one of the lucky winners and you keep it in pristine condition, you should be able to get 12 bucks for it on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's more, that's more than I could ever get, Bill. Bill not since Gone with the Wind. Okay. <laughs> Have I been so gripped? <laughs> All right. Uh, so anyway, text the word book if you want to get in for the drawing of one of Tom's books, Stepping into Eternity. All right. Here's another question from a listener. Jesus said after three years of teaching, without me, you can do nothing. So after that experience of three years with the master of all things, why would they even bother to do anything without his presence? They're stupid like all of us. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. you. Know, and you know, Bill, 
years ago, years ago, a, a Lutheran pastor evangelist went to preach at a church for one Sunday in Wisconsin. And he comes, he comes back, and, and he, I was, I was the youth director. And well, how did how did your evangelism uh, preaching go at the church? Uh, well, he said, the pastor of that church keeps preaching. You can do nothing for your salvation. You can do nothing. You can do nothing. You can do nothing. And and he said, you know what they're doing at that church? They're doing nothing. <laughs> and you know, it's gloriously true. You can do nothing. It's it's totally of Christ. But once you're saved by Christ alone. He gives you the Holy Spirit, and you end up doing all kinds of stuff that you'd never dream of doing before. So if somebody uses the fact that we're saved by grace alone as an excuse to do nothing, they don't get it. They just don't get it. I think we have this idea that if we had walked with Jesus for three years and seen all these things, uh, then my we'd be on fire and it would really work well. Here's the problem. They saw all these things. They still didn't get it. They still didn't really understand who he was until after the resurrection, Mm -hmm. and they didn't have any power until the day of Pentecost Mm -hmm. when the Holy Spirit came upon them. Now, many of us have been reading the Bible 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. We've seen miracles. We prayed and seen answers to prayer. We've seen the Lord work out circumstances and whatever else, and yet we still have a struggle with this whole thing. And I think it's because we're in a daily relationship with Jesus, and we have to keep renewing that every single day and reaffirm that and step out in faith. Because everything is built on faith. When we step out in faith and risk, that becomes a good day. Yeah. Another listener chimed in with this wonderful verse from Romans chapter 10, uh, verses 9 and 10. If you mm-hmm. declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Yes. doesn't For say it might. It says will. Will. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Thoughts on the studio lines? That'd be Justin or Tiger. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love you to just keep going from there. Um, Bill, I mean, verse 11, Scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Uh, no distinction, Jew or Greek, the same Lord is Lord over all, bestowing his riches on, on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I think that that idea that our calling um, will indeed be answered. And I think that just points to the fact of, you know, later on in Romans 10, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so I think the more and more that we know the word, the more and more we're going to know our Lord and the more and more we're going to have and be able to sustain that assurance of salvation that he provides for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's back to that whole, um, you know, we started with this, can we really, we really know? And it's, we're circling around this a lot that people can stand on the assurance that uh, Jesus did what he said he was going to do. And he provided a way for us to have an eternal relationship with God, the father. And we have to, we're going to stumble over that. We're going to try to do it on our own, but we can keep coming back to that promise. And that promise is repeated over and over. And I think it's repeated because we kind of don't get it either. And uh, we keep falling short and need to hear it again and again and again. You know, I'm just curious among the panel, do you know the day you were saved? Tom Parrish? Um. I know Taking the too month much time. I, I knew the month I committed myself to Jesus okay. about 47 years ago. Okay. Yes. Tom Brock? Nope. Okay. I, I, I've ben, rem- believed as long as ben I Holson? know. Ben Holson? No, uh, no. I was, okay. Uh, my whole life. Okay, cool. Uh, um, Justin? 
Uh, all I know, it was, I was 12 years old, and it was July of 1996. <laughs> all right, so, yeah. Good enough. So <laughs> I guess that's a yes. Yes, that's a yes for sure. Tiger? Um, my, yeah, mine started after a process, a short process of questioning and stuff, but I, I don't know the date, but okay. I can tell you it was under a pine tree on a Thursday night at Silver Cliff Ranch in Colorado. Mm. That just That's sounds... when it all happened. That's when I reached out and said, I don't, I don't know much of what I'm doing here, but I want to live life by myself. And if Jesus, if you are who you say you are, then do something with me. Now it's about a feeble prayer under a pine tree that changed mm-hmm. my life. Wow, that's, that's so powerful. beautiful. That's good. Mm-hmm. I gotta, I gotta pause and just think about that for ninety <laughs> seconds. That was just yeah. beautiful. What, maybe we should take a break. Is that what you're saying? I'll be the host here, Tom. <laughs> Oops. All right, <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Who am I to take over? All right, we'll be back after a short break. Let me know if you got questions. Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Guide Talk. Let me know if you have a question. We definitely have time for another question or two. Here's some good ones coming in. Let's see here. Uh, they're just coming in. Let's see. Um, Doesn't Bill play guitar well? Yes, thank you. Isn't that I like good? That. Wow, he's good. He's got many talents. You don't. Uh, here's a listener comment. You don't need to know the date, but if you didn't know that it happened, then when do you get the Holy Spirit? I, I don't think you have to have the assurance of salvation to be saved. I think you want it. I th- I, before I came to assurance that I was saved, I think I was saved. I believed in Christ. I just didn't understand things well. Mm-hmm. And I think there are a lot of people who are saved. They're on their way to heaven. They believe in Christ. But are they sure? Well, no. And I think that's tragic and too bad. But I don't think that takes away their salvation. Well, sadly, in Christianity, we've kind of divided ourselves over this, and I, I think we, we're looking at it all from different perspectives. Because I know that when a lot of my friends who grew up in a very uh, conservative Christian background, when they came to Christ, then the next thing they did was they were asked, if, you know, did you pray in tongues and receive the Holy Spirit? And I understand that, and I'm not arguing that, and I think that there, there's a place for that. However... There are a lot of people that receive Jesus and don't immediately speak in tongues. And don't ever speak in tongues. Don't ever speak in tongues. But you see the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes. I had a woman in yes. my church who received Jesus, and within a short period of time, she began a ministry toward unwed mothers. Mm-hmm. And she literally, over the next 10 years, helped almost 50 unwed mothers take care of children, raise their children, have uh, give birth to babies they didn't want. And she did it and led literally all of them to Christ. Now... She didn't have the evidence of the Holy Spirit as you and I would define it. But as far as I was concerned, she really had the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Yeah. All right. Here's a, uh, a question from a, a listener, a concern. Um, my grandson asked Jesus into his heart when he was six. Now he's 15, and he has suffered greatly from depression and has tried committing suicide three times and says he denounced his Christ now that now, where does he stand? He says he denounces Christ now? Is that what he said? 
Is that he, what you just said? And and says he denounced his Christ. Now where does he stand? I'm just reading the words verbatim. Okay. Um, so also his mother asked him the other day if he believed that there was a God in heaven and if he believes that God is there for us. And he did say he does believe that where do we go from here with him has been a great struggle and it's heartbreaking as a grandparent and parent to see this. So of course, uh, so obviously yeah. came to faith as a very young boy, age six. Um, yeah. And now he, he's got some some issues. We should just pray for him. Really. We should. He who endures to the end will be saved. I hope he comes back. But you can't you can't have a prayer twenty years ago that you prayed and be living in a renunciation of Christ the rest of your life and expect to go to heaven. Jesus said, "He who endures to the end will be saved." Yeah, we're going to have some differences on that one, Tom. For yeah. sure. well, I think this is what the, the grandparents need to realize: you have not lost hope. There's still great hope for your grandson. He's tried to commit suicide three times and has succeeded. That tells me Jesus is busy. Something's going on here. So the big thing is he needs to be brought into fellowship with other young men or women his age that do believe in Jesus. He needs uh, grandma and grandpa continually sharing the love of Jesus and on your knees, and I'm sure you are praying for him. I think that you're hearing a cry for spiritual help, and when you have that cry— it's not time to wring our hands or worry about what he did when he was six years old. The issue is, what are we going to do right now to help him know the reality of Jesus and his love? And I love those opportunities. I've sat with people literally for 24 hours in a, in a home setting where we just talked about Jesus under those circumstances. And it's one of the best things I've ever done. Tiger, what's been some of your experience with uh, uh, high schoolers that are depressed and, and dealing with these kinds of issues? Well, you got you got a couple things going on here that we have to be both be compassionate about as well as understand the process. One is um, depression itself. I mean that that clouds our thinking, that clouds our conclusions, that that becomes the filter to everything. And so we have to be praying that this grandparent and this this kid, you know, has helped to deal with the issues that are creating that depression. Um, and often it's an identity question. It leads to the second, which is I see it happen a lot, which is adolescence, which is a, a crazy time of life where uh, often they struggle with, as they're moving into adulthood, with the frontal lobe of their brain starting to become online, and they start to analyze and question what's been going on and what my mom and dad said. I, it's the process to become... Uh, what I believe because mom and dad believed it to what I'm going to believe because it's mine is uh, is a lot tougher than maybe ever before in history, mm-hmm. partly because of all the pressures in our culture. And so this kid is is going through that, which is creating somewhere in him that, that depression, that struggle of who am I, why am I here, what value do I have? All of those things can be answered in the in the gospel. But it's a broader, deeper issue. And so I, I think those two things, the natural bumpy journey towards adulthood combined with the depression that is linked to the way in which this person is struggling with figuring out the two big questions every kid has to answer. It's who am I and whose am I? Yeah. Who do I belong to both theologically as well as relationally and identity? And, and who am I of all the options in the world today of which the world says you can be anything, who am I going to be? And that becomes depressing when you can't find firm ground. And this kid probably is not finding firm ground and answering either of those questions. And that makes us pretty lonely. Yeah. I, 
I, uh, one of the classes that I've had the privilege to teach at Northwestern is spiritual formation, and primarily the students that are registered for that course are usually their first, their first within their first year or two um, of their college experience. And one of the things that we do in that class is we I have the, the students write out and share their testimony. And I give some examples on how to do that and various ways of doing that. And then we actually share a three-minute, three to four-minute version of it with the rest of the class. And you know, um, you know, maybe taught the course mm. maybe ten times or something like that. And this, and almost for this, you know, for this parent too, to not, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I've seen this this pattern where they've accepted Christ at a young age. Um, you know, they said a prayer five or six. I grew up in a Christian home, but then there's always this, but then, <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's in those adolescent years. That they, whether it was a time of sickness, depression, uh, they lost a loved one and didn't understand why God would do that to them, they entered into this time of a testing. You know, and I, I kind of say, in order to have a testimony, we need to go through a test. <laughs> it's called a testimony for a reason. And mm-hmm. I, I can tell you, the, the, just as for offer a word of encouragement, um, you know, that, that time of testing um, either can cause someone to go back and doubt, was that, was that really genuine? Was that really sincere? You know about that prayer, maybe, and then we 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 have a whole new category, right? That I rededicated my life to Christ, you know, and we kind of use that as a whole other event. And I think sometimes, you know, we can do a disservice of having these. You know, it's good to have these different markers, but that rededication um, is is something that we do on a daily basis, and it's something that's going to be a battle, and it's something that's going to be a test. And I can tell you, um, so many more many of the students that I've had in class to be able to hear them say, get through that test. And that not only they went back and they maybe doubted, went through that period of doubt, but that actually drove them deeper. Um, and and to have have students be able to share um, about the the love that they received from their parents, from their youth pastor, from a coach, from a teacher that would come alongside of them and continue to incarnate the heart of Christ to them, to really help verify and show that this Jesus and this gospel is real, and to see them through that. And so um, I I think that process. Um, is normal in some ways, even though each person's journey is is unique and is different. But I think there's some similarities across the board that I've been getting to notice among some of the emerging adults that I've had in the classroom. Here's yeah. an opportunity for, for Christians, and I wish I had a million dollars right now. We need literally, whether it's it's part of this radio station or elsewhere, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, a live program with different hosts, but you've got youth coming on talking about how they've gone through these struggles and what's helped them and how their faith has grown or how they, you know, they wanted to commit suicide or whatever. Because most of the youth I know that have the bad thoughts are thinking about them when it's night and everybody's gone to bed and they're all by themselves. And where do they go on the radio? This is an opportunity where it'd be nice if they could actually call in and talk live on the radio with other kids their age, but with a host that's driving them back to God's Word because they need to hear over and over and over and over. They have a purpose and that Jesus really loves them and it's really real and hear others who say, hey, I'm 15 years old. I've been down your road. I know it's true. Mm. We only have a minute left, but has social media made identity formation more difficult for kids? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, without, without a doubt. Tiger, I'll give you the last word. You got a minute to comment on that. Well, it just is. You compare. Here's the reality: when in social media, you compare everything you know about yourself, which is this imperfect, messy, confused kid trying to figure out who I am. I compare everything about myself that I know 
with the false reality of what I see on social media where life is perfect and everybody's happy and things are good and I've just succeeded. And I compare that to me and I'm going to lose every time. Wow. And, and an adult may have be able to put a perspective on that, even though it, social media trips up adults, but a kid who's, who's engaged, who's engaged with their frontal lobe is just beginning has a hard time figuring that out. And uh, I think it's, it's huge. Studies are showing the amount of time spent on social media is directly connected to depressing issues and self-esteem issues in a kid. Uh, so appreciate those words. Thank you so much, Tiger. And thanks to the whole power panel. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you, Bill. Pastor thanks, Tom, Bill. Brock, Tom Parrish, Agent 007, Justin Jepson, and Tiger McLoon have been my guests. That wraps up Guy Talk. We're going to take a little break, but when we come back, we're going to have uh, uh, Rick Manson and John Afonso. They're going to be talking about evangelism during the COVID time. It's going to be really a interesting hour, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.